it's March the 7th in the year of our Lord, 2023, show number three. Here we are. And it's with our very favourite, well, part of the team, really. I wouldn't say guest at all. He is part of Liberty Tactics. The one and only wonderful Roy Davis, our Welsh wizard. Hey. Hi, Lou. How are you doing? I'm fine. Everyone's been missing you greatly. A big shout out to Daz Evans, who put a post out today, so like telling everyone you were back on. I just like to surprise people and <laughs> your shows, but Daz has given the game away. So well done, Daz. Thank you. How are you doing? So what's been what's what's going on before we crack on with what well, you uh, say? Everything well with you, Roy? Yeah, everything's fine. You know, I've been uh, I've, I've 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 knocked up a couple of papers. Two I've put up on uh, the Telegram channel. Um, they'll deal with what I'm discussing with today. And there's another three or four that I've done, which will, you know, I'll put up in the not too distant future. So I've, I've been doing some, a lot of research, though, and a lot of reading and preparation, uh, precisely for the period that we're going into, Lou. Yeah. Well, I think you should take it away, Roy, with where, where are we going to start today? Um. I'd like to start with uh, the the evolution in the next uh, six nine months of uh, Donald Trump and uh, his, the move towards the uh, the presidency. Uh, and then after that, if we've got time, which is I'm I'm, I'm putting this forward because it, it arrived, if you like, yesterday when I read the Washington Post, the Independent, New York Times, and I wondered, well. Why are these are putting these articles out now? And then it quickly dawned on me why I thought, oh, I've got to deal with this. Uh, but the main uh, discussion I was going to put forward to, and if you've got time, I will today, if not tomorrow, uh, is about uh, future developments, particularly uh, in the, after the scare, the World War III scare uh, has been dealt with. And, but, and in light of Trump's, you know, the CPAC, his speech at CPAC, you know, there's, uh, I'll touch on it now. It's a very talented speech, by the way. It's a red line in the sand speech. Yeah, I can't believe I haven't seen it yet. You know, I'm usually always the one sitting up live, late watching his, anything that he's on. But this weekend, I haven't had an opportunity. So I might settle down this evening and uh, and watch that. But yeah, go on, tell us all about it, Roy. Well, I've only watched that in 10 minutes. I've got another 40 minutes to watch, but I saw enough of it uh, to understand um, what is taking place now, and uh, and and the, the major part of the discussion, which I want, which I hope to touch upon today, was what's it going to be like in the immediate aftermath of the of the currency collapse and the collapse of the WCC countries. Anyway, if I start with uh, with the uh, with, with the proposed uh, Republican nominations, and then we'll see how far we get. Luke. Fabulous. So, yeah, I don't even know who's put their name forward. I don't know of any names that have gone forward for uh, the other than Trump. So, yeah, let's delve into Okay, well, can you hear me, Lou? I can hear you fine. I just pushed the mute button too quickly just because of Daxon's barking, so I'm best (laughs) keeping mute. (laughs) Okay. Right, well, on this show, Lou, over the last year, year and a half, two years now, I've repeatedly stated that it was my opinion that many of the political parties and the leaders in the Western controlled countries will turn to dust. They will not exist anymore. And this process 
is now in earnest in the United States of America. And as I mentioned a bit earlier, I was reading through articles in the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Independent, uh, umpteen other periodicals and what have you, and they were all a, they were all warning that Trump might well stand as an independent in the forthcoming, you know, in 2024. And I, I read it. And, you know, it's been my opinion that that will happen, but I thought, wow, this is coming out. And then I realized that they're trying to get in front of the story. And the way they're trying to get in front of it, they're saying, yeah, you know, he could do that, but it would be finished. No independent has ever won. And um, they warn, literally, it's going to Vienna, goodbye Trump. And they're trying to build this. Now, you can see now that the, the, yesterday, or the CPAC conference, where Trump put the red line down, they've, put, they've picked it up. And now they're, they're now you know, as one in trying to put forward, yeah, he's going to be the independent. We know he's going to do it. And it's, he's ruined. Now, the, the Republican National Committee is seeking t- to pin Trump down, particularly Rona McDaniel, who's, who's the new chair. By the way, you should say of McDaniel that Trump actually rang her up before the election, I think it was just in late February, and said, you know, I, yeah, I'll support you. I'll, 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 you know, I'll come out in favor of you. And... Uh, she refused. She declined. She said, no, I don't, I don't want your support. Now, it was put forward that uh, she thought it'd be, it would be counterproductive having Trump's support. Well, that was pure bullshit because she won it by about 80 or 90 votes. Yeah, she won it quite easy. She always was going to win it. I'm amazed by that because before the run-up, sorry for jumping in there, Roy, but you know, before the run-up, I saw so many of them like, Slandering how she hasn't done enough and where's the money gone? And she was, I think they were questioning her on Bannon. Uh, they put her on the spot. And I didn't think, I really thought they wouldn't, they wouldn't vote her in. So, yeah. There, there was never a problem with it. And I'll explain why. Why she was always a red hot suit to get it. And Rona McDaniel now has come, is coming forward with this loyalty pledge. Now, the loyalty pledge is that... Uh, you stand as a candidate, and if you fail, then you pledge your loyalty to the nominated candidate. Now, Trump absolutely opposed that in 2015 and 2016. And uh, he was on the radio about three weeks back, and he opposed it then. And he, he put out a good point. He said, well, I'm not going to do that. He said, because I don't know who the candidate will be. But generally speaking, it doesn't matter for Trump. He's not, he's not going to do it. And they are. these articles also point out the sore loser laws. And the sore loser laws are quite important because these sore loser laws, they state that you're prevented from running as an independent or third-party candidate if you've previously you know, run in the same race under a different banner. In other words, if, if Trump entered the primaries, was defeated, then the sore loser, and there are laws, would pre- prevent him from standing, and the Washington Post says 28 states have, have uh, saw user laws. But in, in real terms, Richard Winger, who's a, a, an expert in, in ballots, 
says that will only apply in regard to presidential candidates in two states, South Dakota and Texas. Although Bloomberg said, no, he's wrong there. It's six states. Well, you know, the fact of the matter is, if, if Trump enters the primaries, he would have to make the pledge. Now, if he failed to get the nomination and broke his pledge, then it would be uh, then it would signal a big blow to someone like Trump, whose word is his bond, especially uh, around what we're talking about. He would then have to resort to the courts if he did decide to break his word to upend the the sore losers' law, and given that he nor anybody else has had much success in the courts, and it's a very lengthy process, you would see him sidelined, where the media would uh, forget all about him, would not publicize him, and then they'd go on with, uh, with, with the uh, Republican and Democratic uh, primaries. Now, what is Trump facing? Well, what is absolutely clear is that he does not control the Republican National Committee. And this committee, you know, we, we, we remarked that Hillary had control of the DNC, Democratic National Committee, and she could do what the hell she liked. And it's much the same with the Republican National Committee because it's the key body in the nomination decision-making process in regards to the future candidates for the presidency. Now, before I get into that, Oh, by the way, on the article, there was a very interesting article uh, from TRT, the independent paper, uh, based in Turkey. But they're, you know, they're pretty good. I read the material. And they said, yeah, yeah they, they believe it, you know, Trump could go uh, independent. He could, could go down that road. And they point out that um, they would not be surprised if he got uh, 50 million votes minimum. <laughs> and obviously... Uh, it didn't get much airing. Uh, it didn't get much support. It wasn't that article isn't put forward yet. You know, fair dues. They speak the truth in in real terms, which I'll, which I'll, which I'll, which I'll touch upon in in the, in the next five ten minutes. Now, I did mention the uh, the CPAC conference. Now that Trump addressed. Uh, you know, he, jumped, he, he, he literally, that CPAC conference speech was a declaration of, of war, really, by Trump, not only on the deep state. And, you and we should remember, you know, it wasn't 10 months ago when Trump first used the word, the phrase deep state. You know, I think the Washington Post said he's lost his marbles. You know, he, he's, he's fallen hook, line, and sinker into the conspiracy talk. But now... When he mentions deep state, there's a huge cheer around the hall. You know, the delegates at that conference were acutely aware of the role of the deep state, as, by the way, a large, large sections of the American uh, 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 population. Now, he, he went on to highlight the rhinos. And with the rhinos, you know, so, sometimes we think that, oh, yeah, we know who the rhinos are. But we really, we know who the key rhinos are, the, you know, the big players, as it were. But we don't know to the depth and extent how the rhinos infiltrate the Republican Congress and the Senate. We've got Q telling us that 70% upwards of all the politicians in, uh, 
in D.C. are corrupt. I'd be very, very surprised. I'd be enormously surprised if there were 50 who supported in both in, in the Senate and the House who supported Trump. I don't think there's 50 at all. An indication, indication was uh, the developments around McCarthy, Fedus to Mark Gates and you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know, they said, stuff him. You know, he, he's a he, no-shot measure. He's a rhino. Yeah, and they call it 20 votes, 19 to 20 votes. And that, I think, is probably the, the bulk of their support. All right, let's just say a few more in the Congress would have uh, given support. And there are a few notable senators who stand out from the rest. But in that speech, you know, Trump, you know, he called, he called the Department of Injustice. He dealt with the border, the war. And he really went through it. And at all times, he kept he reiterated that power lies with you, the people. You know, they want to get rid of me, but they, they're really after you, sort of. And, you know, I fight for you, and I'll never give in. And you I represent. And in that sense, it was a really, it was a really, good, it was a really good speech. Now, he thanked uh, Matt Gates. He thanked a number of people. Uh, Matt Gates... Uh, Marjorie Taylor, he also thanked uh, Bolsonaro and his son. Mark is Marjorie Taylor. But there was no mention of, uh, of DeSantis, uh, Cruz, or any of, the other, of, of any of the others, because they were at a separate conference that weekend. And that separate conference was really uh, a coming together of like minds and probably uh, discussing what we're discussing now. Uh, is he gonna, is he not going to run? They, they'll know in, in more detail, and they're probably they're probably they're they're in advance of what they think are their strategy and tactics to defeat Trump. But what does Trump face? Well, like I said, the Republican National Committee is against him. Now, you know, McDaniel refused refused his endorsement, and you can't under, you can't under, understate. That is, both his nominees in the key position for key positions on the RNC failed to get elected. Actually, they were thumped. Now, McDaniel, just after the election, I mentioned a bit earlier, with a rival beside her, I, I should say that uh, the pillow man stood as well, Mike Lindell. He got four votes. Nevertheless, he did stand. Uh, she got up on the platform with, uh, with her opponent, defeated opponent, and she promised that all a, a potential candidates will sign the pledge, will sign the pledge. Now, who is Rona McDaniel? Well, her maiden name was Romney. And her first big campaign was with her father, where they spearheaded the campaign for her, for her uncle, Mitch Romney, uh, Mitt Romney, in the 2012, his 2012 presidential election campaign. And that's enough said. You can now begin to see how it's all stacked against, uh, against Trump. Now, whatever happens, you know, the, the, the Republic Party, Republican Party is going to be, uh, it's going to be split. Not down the middle. It's just, it's going to be the case that who do the mass who the absolutely overwhelming mass of rank-and-file Republicans support.
Well, I support Donald Trump. And there's no two ways about that. And, you know, they can't deny it. And they don't attempt to deny it. But in a sense, they don't say that. But what they're trying to say is we've got the machine. The machine is in our hands, not his hands. And the, the, some of the things that they're using, he's a three-time loser. January the 6th hands over him. You know, he could be being impeached. We don't want the president standing. He could be impeached. Can he defeat the Democrats with all this hanging over on him? And it's going to be death by, by praise for, for a layer of them. Now, who is going to stand? Well, I don't think that the... Uh, now, I'm going to call them for what they are, the traitors. Yeah, I don't think the traitors are going to stand in big numbers. I think they're going to keep it quite small. And, uh, the, the, you know, Nikki Haley has already come out that she's going to stand. You've got a tech billionaire who says she's going to stand. And then they're the ones on the sidelines. You know, Pompeo is disparaging against uh, Donald Trump now. Pence, also very disparaging. He always has been. And then you've got DeSantis. And behind them, you've got Ted Cruz. Now, Cruz says that you know, he's not going to stand, but he's there as first reserve for DeSantis. Any hiccups there. And Trump gave a dark warning against DeSantis. Uh, recently, he said, I know things about him that probably his wife doesn't even know, and it will come out. And I thought, wow, that, is a, that was a pretty big statement by Trump. And I noted that the reporters and nobody, they never bothered asking him. He just left him to carry on. So they obviously know what he's uh, alluding to. Now, you're going to see, and it's going to be quite, especially to those, you know, who've been locked in this uh, Republican Party. Yeah, that's Trump. Uh, the idea that it's always going to be there. They're going to be quite shocked now by individuals and events that take place. Former Ireland Trump supporters will withdraw their support on the lines that I've said. You know, you know, we want to be, we, you know, we'd like to support him. My God, we're Trump supporters, but there's too much against him. There's too much against him. Uh, <laughs> and in that sense, key figures and key names will start now. As soon as DeSantis puts his name forward in the next probably the next six weeks, you'll see he'll have a coterie of what we considered to be Trump supporters by, by his side. Um, now, like who am I talking about? Well, Charlie Kirk, for definite. You know, Kirk, uh, he gives it out, I'm for Trump, but he's been pretty damning now against Trump in the last uh, couple of weeks. And you can see that he, he keeps on saying he's impressed by DeSantis. And he'll be one of them, he'll be one of them that will be standing up on that platform so if Trump were to enter the race, and I don't, I don't believe he would stand a cat and chance of getting the nomination. Uh, I, I, I really don't. Um, <laughs> the, the first primary debate is August the 23rd. If he, if he takes part in that primary, effectively, he's locked in. You know, uh, he's locked into the to the pledge and to the idea that he goes through to the end. And he can't really get out because of those, you know, I, talk, I said about those laws. I forgot what, you, you know, the, the sore loser laws. You, you know, you just know that they would be enforced. You just know that those states 
would fight against Trump, especially if they were in the control of the of the Republican machine. They would be protracted over a period of time. It would t- it would sap the energy and life, whilst they would go ahead with the uh, with the nomination, all behind uh, probably DeSantis. Now, what is the alternative? Well, the alternative would be uh, for for forty five to launch a, a Patriot Party. Is that out of the question? No, it's not out of the question. As a matter of fact, it's it's right up there. And I think if he's going to do it, he's going to do it in good season. What do I mean by that? Well, he's not going to leave it up until August, the primary. I think that uh, I think these I mentioned uh, those rags that have come up with this. They must have an echo that it's going to take place shortly. Because they're trying to get, you know, they've got definitely got in front of the story, and they're trying to play down the uselessness of it. Nobody's ever succeeded, not even a president who tried it before succeeded. It's doomed to failure. He'll end up, you know, look, he could he could be losing the Republicans the vote if he stands. He'll split the Republican vote. He'll give it to the Democrats. All that crap is coming out as if these individuals care a damn about uh, about anything. So he could more. You see, I mentioned earlier, could he, could he for, for, forge a party in that period of time? Absolutely. <laughs> Look, Trump's got what all the other candidates haven't got. He's got the core base. What do I mean by that? You see, the, if he, the Patriot Party would not just be a party of the core, the fighters, the workers, the communities. They would also be the candidates in the force majeure of, uh, of, 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 for Congress, et cetera, for the Senate. They would be there, you know, thereabouts. It would be a massive mobilization, and it would be around policies. It would be around a program. And the policies and program that Donald Trump is putting forward are enormously attractive to the working masses. You know, the app, Social Security said, I know what they're trying to do, the rhinos. He said, they, they're trying to do away with, with Social Security and, the, and uh, you know, the, the, health, the, the health system that they got up there. No chance. He said, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to allow it. And he put forward, he's put forward this 10 cities, new cities to be built where you can get affordable housing for the homeless, where we can, you know, people can live in a style which should be, be fit for people in the 21st century. And there's many other policies that he's putting forward, which his opponents have no answer to, that they do not support. You know, DeSantis is very good against wokeism, transgenders, the uh, educational system. It's got to be put back. We can't have any of this farting about anymore, with transgenders, with sexualization. Yeah, he's very good on that. But as Trump says, he's, uh, you know, Ron, Ron the globalist. What does he mean by that? Yeah, well, that's the type. You know, DeSantis. If Trump's not in, if Trump's not in, and I don't think he will be in these primaries, and he's on the sidelines, can you imagine? They will have a debate, and they will fluster. <laughs> they won't have an answer to anything. They'll be very, very weak. And then the following night, you know, Trump will be going around the country on the stump. And there will be millions and millions who will be drawn and attracted. To him, he'll expose you know his opponents. 
You earlier, Roy, you mentioned Jim Jordan, which I was really shocked at, but I just had a thought. I don't know if you follow Mike Davis on uh on Twitter. He goes on to uh Bannon quite a lot. Um he's he's fantastic. He's done he's done so much work exposing uh corruption. He did a lot to do with that um what's her name the judge Mackenzie Brown or whatever her name is. Um and he came out with a statement about judge uh, Jim Jordan that yeah, Jim Jordan is for Trump until it comes to certain things where he won't speak out. I think it might have been Google he mentioned. Yeah. And then there was another name that they said with with other financial ties. I can't remember who it was. Well, you know, you would be surprised at. Do you know what I mean? You'd yeah. be surprised. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, nothing would surprise me though. And uh, you know, I, you know, Jim Jordan says he's for Trump, and that's it. But nothing would surprise me. You said he if wasn't it, even at the CPAC. He was down the road at that other conference, Jordan. Which are- no, I mentioned. I didn't mention uh, Jordan. I said uh, Pence, DeSantis, ah, oh, right, uh, and others. You know, okay. Um, you know, I think Jim Jordan. You know, we'll have to see. <laughs> Only Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene are better to say because Trump named them in the CPAC. Now, he said. What are the issues? What about with that Lauren Brobert? Because she's very much a a, a MAGA. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, Haley was at the uh, conference as well, but they were the only ones there that he called out. So I suppose there would be more there, but okay, in the, in the leadership, they, they were the ones that were there. So what would be what are the, what are going to be the defining issues over the next period? Well, the defining issue. And Trump said, you know, World War Three, I could sort it out in a day. And I think he could. I think he will. But you see, the, when he says, you know, we're on the cusp of World War Three, well, <laughs> Trump's attack on the deep state, uh, you're going to have a push in America and all over the world, in the West and WCC countries, where it's going to crank right up now. You can, the Americans, you know, Biden, the irony of Biden is, you know, he's attacking, he's attacking Putin, you know, starting the war. And uh, he's now arming Taiwan. You know, the, uh, the weaponry is going into Taiwan. And China threw down the gauntlet yesterday. Well, they said, you know, that's it. You want to see what we can do? Well, you're going to see what we can do. So you're going to have the, – it's, it's going to be a real existential movement. It's not an accident that the Wagner group leader said that uh, – sorry, the Chechen group leader you know, in, in the uh, military operation, he said that they face in 30,000 Poles, Czechs, in other words, you know, fighters from NATO on the field now. He said the Americans are there organizing. They, they come under the title of advisors, but they're there. So you, you can see this war in that sense. You know, Bakhmut has been like, likened to Dunkirk, it's a, but it's a one-sided Dunkirk because it's the Ukrainians that really are the cannon fodder now, and it's, it's disgraceful. You know, the loss of human life now is beyond, is beyond, the, is beyond the pale. But it's this issue about World War Three. That's really 
going to split them all down the middle. Because Trump's position, and it is the correct position, is, he, and he reiterated, I've ended the endless wars. I'm not going to get caught up in wars. Ukraine, we, want, we shouldn't be financing Ukraine. Yeah, we want peace. But we're not sending men and we shouldn't be financing. That's their war. You know, they can, they can, they can sort it themselves. Now, what you're going to get is when this movement takes place, you're going to get an appeal from the Democrats. Put politics aside. We should unite. <laughs> and Trump will stand apart. And he'll stand apart on the issue of, is it's the enemy within this country that is propagating the war that is taking place over there. You know, he said the Iraq war was a disgrace. Afghanistan was a disgrace. In other words, he was calling to book the leadership of the cabal in America, the presidents and the generals, etc. at that moment in time. And he's going to hold them to book. And it's going to be a very, very exciting period of world history in which Trump is on the winning ticket all the way down the line. Now, does it go to a case where you get an election 2024? Or is it proven that 2020 was stolen? You know, there, there are a myriad, uh, you know, outcomes. But ultimately, I'm absolutely firm in the belief that Donald John Trump will be the President of the United States of America. And, not, and nothing they do, <laughs> whatever they plan, it all fall down. Can I just ask, so with regards to Biden, he works for China. So why is he suddenly going to start arming Taiwan? Yes, they've just started arming Taiwan. Yeah, so why would he do that if he's working for China? Well, we know he works for China. We know that Hunter works for China. But Joe, you know, he he says, Joe, he he refused any questions. It's absurd. You know, this is ridiculous. How can I be working for them? Yeah, Uh, but but we know he is. So why would he be on Taiwan? Yeah, but we know he is. We know that he is, but the rest... The rest of the, uh, the rest of, uh, of humanity, the rest of the WCC, the majority of um, WCC doesn't know that, that these crimes are taking place. They will know. And the Biden laptop will come out in the next period. Biden's links will come out in the next period. They'll be there why for everybody. Why is he actually doing that to Taiwan then? But why? You know, it, it, because it, the why? United Nations have accepted Taiwan as a separate entity. Well, they haven't actually. Uh, it's 14 countries have. But America has got a dual outlook. It's saying, yeah, you know, it's a greater China, but we're going to defend the freedom of the Taiwanese people, the democracy of Taiwan against the communism, the oppressive regime that's in China. Mm-hmm. That's the stance that, that, that they're going to use. And they think they'll get a great echo for, echo for it. I tell you this, the moment that it starts, that echo will diminish overnight. Because it will be a, a solitary experience for the Americans. The weaponry available, they, they, you should not look at the special military operation like the West is doing as a weakness on Russia's behalf. As a matter of fact, you know, Putin from the word go could have instituted shock and awe. You know, he has the weaponry to, to have reduced 
Ukraine to rubble within a space of weeks at the start. But he never wanted to do that. He always had an outlook for human life to the Ukrainians. He, he declared that is the case. He just wanted to secure the four areas from, uh, from, from the uh, attacks by the Nazi Azov regiments to stop the killing of Russians. Now, it's an entrenched war now, but it's not an entrenched war. It's a terrible war in the sense of the loss of life on all sides. But it's sucking the life out of the WCC. You know, 18 million Ukrainians have gone. They've departed. The, the economic center, the industrial center of Ukraine is now Russia. You're fighting over your know, agricultural land. And yeah, in that sense, Russia's not worried about that either. So far from being the Russians that have an economy that's bankrupt, that have a, a currency that's not worth the paper it's written on, that are in dire troubles in inflation, interest rates, living standards. No, it's not the case. That's all, that's all affecting us. That's all affecting the WCC countries. You know, China's announced 5% growth for this year. And you read the journals of, 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 the, of the cabal, and they say, oh, 5%. It's been 47 years since the U.S. reached anything near 5% in productive capacity in a year. 47 years. It's even longer for Britain. I don't care. You've got to count in destruction of uh, machinery, therefore an increase on a shorter basis, uh, which is, overall is a loss in productive capacity. But you know, you've got to pinch yourself. These lies that they put forward, uh, this facade that's been put forward is falling apart at the seams. Could Russia win it and destroy everything in sight? Yeah, it could. Will it do it? I doubt it. I, do, I genuinely believe that Putin is not that person. He doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to do what the Americans did in Libya, do what the Americans did in Iraq, do what the Americans did in Afghanistan, in Syria in countless countries over the last 50, 60, 70 years. I think Putin is what he says he is. He respects the sovereign rights and he respects all human beings. And uh, I think that they're going to win this. There's no chance they can lose. I think they're just sucking the lifeblood out of the WCC countries now. Anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a much meandered account I've just given there, Lou. But the fact of the matter is, Taiwan, uh, yeah, the Americans will make it an issue of fighting for democracy. You know, we're 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 going to we're going to defend democracy everywhere. Mm. You know, they haven't, they haven't even got democracy in their in their own country for God's sake. They've got yeah. open borders. Everything is, you know. Anyway, I could go on forever. Yeah, we couldn't. We just. So where are we going now, Roy? Do you want to, should we um, do, do you want to do it in two parts or can we, should we just, should we just go for it and give everyone a super show, a super, a bit of a longer one? Well, we can do that. The only thing is I know that people do, uh, after 40 odd minutes, they do usually conk out and say, well, uh, but we, do you want to try it? Let's do it. Let's, let's do it, Roy. Okay. Okay then. So where are we going now then? This is a, this is a discussion now. Which I'm, uh, which I'm opening up, which probably hasn't been opened up 
anywhere. Where I'm looking now, down the, if you like, down 12, 18 months down the road, to actually when the cabal falls in the Western controlled, cabal controlled countries, when it actually falls, when I'm, what do I mean by that? When the currencies fall, when the banks fall, when everything goes Pete Tong, in other words, when the cabal are finally defeated, where they no longer hold control and power, what are going to be the immediate developments in the aftermath of it? And I'd like to touch, I'd like to touch on uh, what I perceive to be the case. And I've got to quote you. There is only one good knowledge and one evil, ignorance. And I thought that, that, put, that quote, by the way, perfectly sums up period of history that we're in. is from Socrates. And really the task of, of truthers, the task of, uh, of, of those who are attempting to connect the dots, to join the dots, is to illuminate you know, that knowledge that we got, to defeat you know, the, the fake ignorance, the lies of the cabal, which tentatively, and only tentatively, holds sway over the masses in the WCC countries, but all is in change. You know, we have these eco economists and historians who in no way deal with what Socrates put forward. You know, they don't deal with uh, the one good knowledge. No, they, they follow the line effectively of ignorance, of lies put forward by the cabal itself. And he, yeah, I'll do, I feel it. You sometimes got to pinch yourself. You have to pinch yourself at the lies and distortions that have been spewed at us. You know, I wouldn't even mention COVID. I'm not even going to touch on that. You know, six months ago, we had in the WCC countries, in their media, they were all eulogizing that Ukraine victory was in sight within weeks. Twelve months ago, Biden said that the Russian economy will now be destroyed through the sanctions that he imposed. And he came up with a, with a famous state, statement that the ruble will be rubble. Then we had the, uh, the chairman of the Fed, Jerome Powell. We had Bailey. We had all the central banks saying that, yeah, inflation, it's transient. You know, it's something that's going to go away. You don't have to worry about it. The economy is strong. We'll, we'll have a burst of growth. And then they point that, look, the dollar is strengthening. Sanctions are increasing. We're bringing the Russians down. The Chinese economy, it's bust through the housing, through Evergrande. And then 18 months ago, you know, there was a famous opinion, uh, opinion piece. I think it was written in The Guardian where it said that uh, there's little room for, uh, for maneuver uh, for BRICS. They cannot be considered a serious adversary to the G7 or the G20. Well, we just had the G G20, by the way, uh, in India. And I think that's the last ever uh, G20. And the reason I say that, I don't want to go too far down this, but you know, Lavrov dropped in that there are two dozen countries now that have applied to join BRICS. I think that's conservative. Very, very conservative. But I think they're going to, they come to August this year, and they're going to announce the new countries on the block. And you're going to have countries like Saudi Arabia, Argentina, you know, they, Nigeria. They're going to be big countries. They're not lightweights. And that will be the end of the G20 because once BRICS expand 
in that vein and measure. And if they haven't moved towards a gold standard, uh, towards gold being used in terms of trade, you know, it's literally the end of the G7, G20, and they looked, they won't look to them. They'll try, they'll deny them the availability to be in these bodies. Now, I'd like to deal with the more enlightened economists, the contrarians, and the, the geopolitical analysts who, unlike uh, the cabal Main Street lobby, they actually attempt to uh, explain developments, but inexorably, they are hanging on to the remarks of uh, whether it's Putin in Valdai, whether it's Xi with MBS. They're always waiting for the remarks. They're tail-ending uh, those remarks, those developments. They do attempt, some of them do attempt to, to, to fulfill what should be their main goal. Because their main goal should be not to interpret the world as it is, but how it will change. And they should back up their assertions with insight and evidence to indicate a possible likely development, a trend. It could go this way, but you very, very rarely hear that these days. I can think on one hand of uh, writers, of uh, geopoliticists, the good guys, who actually put that down. As for you know, the cabal, well, they just lie through their teeth. You know, their story was a new world order. Globalism has failed. Therefore, they're in retrenched mode. They really don't know what's, what's taking place at this moment in time. Hence, you can see that the attempt on, uh, you know, you, they, they put 10 more sanctions on Russia. And uh, it's not Seymour Hersh, we tell that's 10 more degrees of pain on the people living in the West then. And then, and, then, and then Blinken says, oh, it's okay. We're now going to put sanctions on China. Are you for real? Are you for real? You're going to put sanctions on the greatest productive power on the planet, and you're going to sanction them. Well, talk about own goal, playing in the hands of your enemy. They're doing that okay. And the reason I'm raising this is that historically, you did have individuals who could look 50, 30, 50, 100 years ahead. You know, they had a plan. If you look back in America, Ben Franklin, Although he's a, he's a, he's on a he's on a dollar ten dollar note, he opposed fiat money. He had an understanding of sound money, of public money, and then you had the likes of Thomas Paine, who had an understanding what a free nation would be. But that's on if you like that was with the good guys. But even the bad guys, even the cabal of the day, had forethinkers who looked ahead, and one of these, none more so, was a guy called. Halford Mackinder. Now, Mackinder is, uh, is, is the father of geopolitics. Now, who was Halford Mackinder? Well, he was a British academic and politician at the turn of the 20th century, when the British Empire was still the dominant power force on the planet. Yeah, true. It was on the wane. Nevertheless, it hadn't succumbed. And he wrote a very famous book, in 1904, called The Geographical Pivot of History. And within that book was his famous theory known as the Heartland Theory. Now, the Heartland Theory is what uh, everybody, in the, uh, as far as the good guys are concerned, everybody's applying 
to Russia, China, and India. So what is the, Heart, the Heartland theory? It principally comes down to whoever controls Eastern Europe, Russia, which, uh, you know, the Russia that I'm talking about in 1904, that incorporated uh, the stands. It incorporated Ukraine, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia. It did encompass one-sixth of the world's surface. It really was a heartland. Now, whoever gained control of that, Mackinder put forward, would easily gain control of the world island. Now, the world island for Mackinder meant Africa, Eurasia. In other words, China, India, Middle East, Maghreb. And whoever got that, he said, that's, that would be literally game over. Now, I've lost a sheet of my paper. Yeah, I've got it here. Now, to sum up, so what was, what was Mackinder's stance? Well, firstly, he said, who ruled East Europe commands the heart, heartland? Secondly, who rules the heartland commands the world island? Thirdly, who rules the world island commands the world. Hmm. Now, it's, it's quite interesting. It would seem that Mackinder, on the face of it, was right. Or so the enlightened economists and the geopolitical analysts I mentioned, mentioned earlier think. In this, they're supported by the likes of Kissinger. You know, Kissinger openly admits globalism's over. You know, he stepped off the scene of history. He recognizes that it's defeat. You know, the neocons, the Newlands, the Blinkens, the Bidens, well, they're, de they're demented, deranged. They haven't got the brain to understand what has taken pla place. So Mackinder was speaking, and he should never be forgotten. He was speaking with his imperial empire glasses on. India was one part of the heartland in the bag for the British Empire. Russia was the target of the British Empire. Aka, the way Mackinder put forward. As for North America, Latin and South America, well, they didn't come under consideration. But Mackinder was acutely aware of North America, the United States and Canada. But for the, for the British Empire, the easy pickings were Russia. Hence, you got World War I. And at the time of World War II, you know, Operation Barbarossa, if it hadn't been for the heroic efforts of the, uh, the 25 million who died, you know, the Russians who died in defense of their motherland, you would have had, uh, you would have had the control of the heartland, control of Russia. It wouldn't have been Britain. It would have been America. Now, had Mackinder been alive today, I'm of the opinion he would not be so sure of the theory he put forward back some 120 years ago. Indeed, the arrival of the American hegemon ended such ideas and notions. It also ended the British Empire. And that was the case until the American Empire, the demise of the American Empire. The first great setback was Nixon uh, off the gold standard. Then you had the, 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 the financialization, the move away from the production of commodities of goods, and then the piling in to quick money on the derivatives, on interest rates, on credit swaps, et cetera, et cetera. It was then that a big new Brzezinski brought up once again in 1997, Mackinder's Heartland Theory. And the reason he brought it up was that he accepted that there was no 
manufacturing industrial base to oppose China and that they now, their soul had gone. And in a sense, Brzezinski was confident because it was, remember, part of the New World Order. Leave America like an empty trash can or move to China and then use the industrial base of China to, uh, to demonize Soviet Union and try and balkanize the Soviet Union. That's what the New World Order was all about. Now, why the heartlands? Well, I did mention Russia, one-sixth of the world's service, but if you come to today, you know, it hasn't got that one-sixth now, but it's still a commodity superpower. You know, it's unrivaled. Now, the terror for the cabal is that it, it would link up with the might of, uh, of the German, industri of German industry. You know, that, that was a, a great fear of the cabal, because if it did, then that would, signal, that would have signaled the end of the American empire. Now, Russia, even though diminished in size, like I said, still encapsulates the bulk of the world's natural resources. Now, I'm going to give some figures here, and it's from, I had to find out, how can I, how can I uh, give weight to the natural resources of the countries of the world? Well, Statista put forward the natural resource value of the top 10 countries in the world. And their last one was put out in 2021. Now, sitting in first place is Russia. Now, it cites that it is coal, natural gas, oil, gold, timber, rare earth metals, and it measures its, uh, its resources in trillions of dollars. And it says that Russia has the equivalent then of $75 trillion. Now, the second greatest country with natural resources is the United States. It doesn't have rare earth metals, but it has copper instead, and it's $45 trillion. The third greatest country in the world in resources is Saudi Arabia. Well, that's oil, and it's 34.4 trillion. The fourth is Canada. It has oil, uranium, timber, natural gas, phosphate. Again, it's around 34 million. In seventh position is Brazil. Gold, uranium, iron, timber, oil, lithium, 22 trillion. And last in 10th place, in Venezuela, you have iron, natural gas, oil, and again, other rare earth metals, and they're 14 trillion. So four of the top 10 are in the Americas. Now, when we talk about the heartland, we must remember the Belt and Road Initiative is hammering away a building an infrastructure, roads, rail, air, bridges, waterways, etc. Well, when we look at the Americas, it's not such a vast expanse of area between the continents, north and south. And much infrastructure is, is there. But particularly in South, Central, and Latin America, it's being modernized in the last period at an astonishing rate. So, what is the population of Canada, North America, Latin America, South America, and Central America. Well, it's be between one and a quarter and one and a half billion. So what is the population of China, Russia, India, East Asia, Middle East, Africa? In other words, the heartland and the area around it. What's well, nearly four billion? So per head of population, North, Central, Latin America, 
are far wealthier per capita per head in regards to natural resources. Now, Mackinder was aware of that. And the reason that Mackinder and the British Empire wanted to take Russia, because Russia had an industrial base, but it was wide open. They could imprint what they wanted to, and they had massive amounts of monies and labours in the British Empire, particularly in India, just to go up and uh, develop it overnight. They didn't want to go to uh, they didn't want to go to America. So bear with me a little bit. You have the Belt and Road Initiative. Now the Belt and Road Initiative came about. It was it was first announced by China in 2013. It now encompasses 140 odd countries, but it, it, it's, taken, it's taken a period of time to get to those 140 countries. But the countries that the Belt and Road Initiative were interested in 2013 was the heartlands, which I mentioned, which was Russia, China, Stans, Turkey, East Asia, Middle East, and the African continent. There was no mention of Latin, Central, or South American countries. Now, that is highly unusual because China is a country, and Russia, that thinks ahead in centuries, not just decades. But from the outset, it had no intention of Latin, Central, and South America being brought in to the same type of development the Belt and Road Initiative they started in 2013. And it was clear from the start. Now, it's a, it's a surprising admission. But the Chinese and the Russians, they stick to Mackinder's theory. Now, by doing what they've done, they're definitely going to control the world economy. And the key country, you know, when we look to, to the right, to the left, to the truthers, etc., they all point to China as the key player. Well, Mackinder was right in this, that Russia is the pivot, is the key country. Why? It is the quartermaster of the bulk of the world's natural resources, and that is primary. You can have a manufacturing base. You can have various things, but if you haven't got the basic commodities, your machines won't work. And they have those basic commodities. So when does Latin America come into play? When, when do China and Russia take on board the need to develop Latin America? And why? That's the point. Why weren't they in 2013, but they did come in in 2017 and 2018. Some 18, 19 countries come on board the Belt and Road Initiative. And they start building infrastructure in South Central and Latin America. Now, You've got to go back. Uh, I'm asking everybody to go back to think about Trump. This is when Trump is in power. In 2017, he visits a number of countries. He visits Saudi Arabia, gets the kingdom. He goes over to Sichi, goes into the forbidden city. He sees a little man, gets on famously with him, and then ends up with Putin in Russia. And you could see that he had a really good relationship with Putin, in the period, in this period, or a period from 2003 to the present day, in Brazil, China is the greatest trading trading partner. 
So those foreign trips, they have a big impact, which I'll allude to now. So China assists Russia in developing the ports. And that's the only, by the way, that's the only link that they have. The heartland has with South and Central America is, uh, is, is, is the ports. But they've been building the roads, the rails, the transportation systems, the power stations, the bridges, developed agriculture. And they've been doing this since 2017. In the backyard, in America's backyard, when Donald Trump is the president, when he's gone to see them, after he sees them, it, 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 things just take off. Now, you would think that Donald Trump would have highlighted this, would have said, Phew, we're not having that. No. He says, I've hit China with tariffs. I'm making them pay. Look here, look here, look here. And they all look there and they all applaud him. But at the same time, Russia and China are investing heavily. Tremendous work is taking place. But as I explained, South, Central and Latin America, Latin America aren't part of the heartland. Why? It's to do with logistics. There are vast expanses of ocean that divides them. There's the Pacific on one side, the Atlantic on the other. And where is the heartland? Let's reiterate. It's, it's, it's Russia, China, India, Middle East, Africa. And they are struggling might and main now, right now, with everything that they've got to build the road and rail links, the sea and air links, the pipelines, the bridges. They're doing their damnedest to get it all prepared, and it's a race against time. All the needs and requirements of BRICS commodities are within the heartland. They've got everything. They do not require anything else from any other part of the world. And there is really no need or desire by China, Russia, India, or the heartlands to do trade with Latin, South, and Central America. So why are they there? They're there, and they're there to build up the infrastructure in those countries, to get the trade deals, and to make sure that they're back up South and Central and Latin America so that they will see the defeat of the cabal. They will see the, the, the cabal removed from the scene of history. And that's all pointing forward to one thing, that they'll be able to create a world fit for us all to live in. Now, I'll come back to my point. Envisage the first stage after the removal of the cabal in the WCC countries. Well, I mentioned on a show about a year ago about the three great trading blocks that would be formed. And Lou, you asked me, who are these trading blocks? I said, well, you know, I, I don't want to go into that at the moment because I thought it was too far ahead. But now I'm going to go into it. You will have the three great trading blocks after the fall of the cabal, after the fall of the currencies, after the fall of their economies. Where these three great trading blocks would be? Well, you must look at Russia, although it's one country, that is the west of Russia, which looks to Europe. That's an automatic link-up. West of Russia to Europe and to Britain, that will mean the forging of one of the most powerful industrial areas on the planet. You will get then the enormous industrialization of all of the European, the smaller countries, 
and of um, uh, the aid and assistance for commodities, for goods, for the needs of basic necessities, Germany will then reciprocate with the industrialization of large tracts of Russia. Now, the east and the south of Russia, well, that, that looks to the heartlands. That looks to China, India, as I mentioned, East Asia, the Middle East, and Africa. So you got two. You got two major areas, two major trading blocks there. The third one is the Americas. What do I mean by the Americas? Canada, North America, Latin America, Central America, and South America. That's the quandary. Well, let's address it. Who is the dominant country in South, Central, and Latin America? Well, the dominant country is Brazil, followed by Argentina, Venezuela, and others. Now, who is the recognized leader of South, Central, and Latin America? Enter Lula. Lula is the recognized leader. As Trump will be the recognized leader of Canada and the United States, remember now we talk about after the fall, he's in power, Lula will be his reciprocal in South and Central Latin America. Lula should be viewed from the perspective that he will unite with Trump. They will forge a powerful All-Americas trading bloc. Let us not forget, we've been given some hints of how that will develop. On the 4th of July, 2021, Trump, I think, was in Iowa, and he was making a speech, election speech. And he pointed out that NAFTA, he'd done away with NAFTA, a globalist, you know, part of the, the TCC. Yeah, that was a globalist trick, or money to, to those who rule, nothing to the people. He said, we've done away from that. Now we've got the Canada, America, and Mexico pact. Now, what's interesting is what he says in regard to Mexico. Now, listen to this. It's on 4th of July. He's speaking to a massive rally. Like, you've got to make a new deal with these countries. Countries like Mexico. I got on well with the president of Mexico. That's Obrador. He might be a socialist, but I like him a lot. It's okay to get on with the heads of other countries. Don't you think? There was a hushed quietness. There was deadly silence. A few people said a few words here and there, but it went silence. Trump was acknowledging a good socialist leader. Now, what Trump was saying there was, Obrador is looking after his people. Obrador is trying to do the best for his country. As I am trying to do the best for us, for American people. Obrador is not kowtowing to the cabal. I am not kowtowing. Now transfer that to Lula. What is Lula doing now? Lula is de-dollarizing faster pace. He's setting up a trading currency, the SIR, which we backed by gold. He will be visiting Chi, and he will sign trade deals with Chi at the end of this month. But here's another indication of how it's going to meld together. America has lithium. 
but it's only able to produce just under 1% of the world's lithium, rare metal. It's in enormous problems with lithium. It has it there, but it takes 10 years to build a mine, and they've only got one mine. And they know that the lithium deposits they get in abundance from the heartlands are not going to be on offer shortly. Wow. What does Lula announce two days ago? Lula announces that with Chile, Argentina, and another country, can't remember, they're going to set up a lithium OPEC because they have vast quantities of lithium. Now, is that lithium for China and Russia for Africa? No, they don't need it. They're dripping with it. Is it for Iran? No. It has the second greatest deposits in the world. Chile has the first. So why is that being done? In my opinion, when this all falls apart, you will see trading agreements. America does not have all the oil that it needs, even when it's supplying, particularly sweet oil. Well, guess what? Venezuela, Argentina, Brazil, they've got plenty of that. Now, they sell it at this moment in time. They sell it over to the heartland countries, to China, to Turkey, whatever. They don't need it anymore. They've now got the Middle East. So you can see how it, the jigsaw is going to fit together. And when people say he's a WEF puppet, he's a trader, let me tell you this. He was a founding member of BRICS. He is held in the highest esteem. And in him, he has the best interests of his people at heart. You can, see, you can mention various deficiencies in him, and they might well be there, but he's human. But his closest confidant was Dzilma Rousseff. Is Dzilma Rousseff the ex-president that was removed in the colored revolution? Dzilma Rousseff has now been announced as the next head of the BRICS Development Bank that will take office later this year. Look at Lula's position on Ukraine. It is a mirror, an absolute mirror of Donald Trump's. And that is enormously important in the next period. I mentioned earlier that Trump will oppose the movement to World War III. He will stand up and he will say, the enemy is within this country. The propagator of all wars is it with it. They, run, they rule this country. Yeah, they're in other countries of the world. They're the deep state, but they sent it here. In Lula, he will adopt exactly the same position. Americas will adopt exactly the same position. They will take a neutral position. No funding, no weapons, no military aid, no support to Biden. Let's be clear about this. People say, oh, look, he's shaking the hand of Biden. Yeah, he went over to see Biden, by the way. They had a discussion, and Biden said to him, you know, there are two Iranian warships. They want to come into your harbor. No, Mr. President, he said, they won't come in while I'm here. And Biden thanked him. Six and a half hours later, he, he touched down in Rio, and he said, yeah, let them in. And Blinken got on the phone to him and said, what are you doing? You gave a promise. No, I said, I gave a promise. While well, I was there, they wouldn't be coming in, but I'm letting them in now. And they're in. In a sense, you can see how the developments are taking place 
of these three great trading blocks. It's, it's a trend. It's an outline. But we must mention it. Now, Lula is uniting the Americas. Trump, in no short measure, has united already Canada, Mexico, and, and the U.S. And by the way, Mexico overnight will go to one of the richest countries in the world because it has the biggest reserves of silver on the planet. Now, the other thing, the other thing of Lula, which will aid and assist all of the Americas, is that he, st he will still be in Brexit. Look at the role that India have played in regard to oil or gas. They take the oil or gas off Russia and they sell it back to Europe or whoever wants it. You know, Russia can afford to give them 30% off and still make a marvelous profit. Think about Lula in that vein and manner. Whatever the Americas need, Lula will be able, will be able to negotiate it with the heartland, with BRICS. Because the world will not be the same place. The cabal will have gone. And what I said about Donald Trump remains. He is the only person that can end this war in a day. Remember, in Saudi Arabia, they gave him the sword. And you should think hard on Saudi Arabia. You should think very hard because the deep state fell in Saudi Arabia first. The plan was always to take away uh, the, the control and the issuance of money and credit. And it started in South America. The attack on the dollar really started in Saudi Arabia. MBS got the 200 deep staters. He put them in a hotel. He kept them there for two weeks. He neutralized them. Under Trump was the president. You just come back. Trump didn't say a word. He just said, that's up to, that's up to Saudi Arabia. It's up to MBS. What he, what he did, what he does. And then everything's fine. There's no issue. The oil is still being bought. The dollars are still being brought in. And then Biden comes into power. Biden comes into power and immediately he attacks MBS as a pariah. And then he says, we're going on the green energy. That was all MBS and Saudi Arabia needed to do. They got rid of the deep state, the CIA, and immediately they looked to China and Russia. They treated Biden and the cabal representatives with absolute disdain. There's a massive de-dollarization. There'll be massive trade deals, none with the West, all with the heartland. And now the weapon of the petrodollar that can be fired at any time. So you should never forget that Trump visited Saudi Arabia, China, North Korea, and Russia. He put the plan in play. We're coming near now to the end game. And this is a great, if you like, the great game itself. If you look at things in a fixed manner, if you do not look at it from the art of war, and you take it from the art of stupid, which I'm afraid many of the truthers do, then you're going to be shocked at the developments that take place. You're going to be in a quandary about who to support and when to support. Try and connect the dots. I may not be right on this. But at least I'm giving credence. I'm trying to give evidence. I'm trying to give an opinion, a trend. 
which I think that there is a strong likelihood for. These are the discussions, by the way, which aren't taking place yet. This discussion that we're raising here, I don't think it's taking place anywhere on the planet. I really don't. Apart from maybe the, maybe the good guys at the very top levels years ago. I'd like to think that was the case. But these are the issues that we've got to start to study. We've got to look to because that's what's going to give you sustenance. That's what's going to carry you through. Blind faith lasts so long. In a, in a stormy sea, if your compass is gone, you're finished. It doesn't matter how big your boat is, your boat is, how luxurious your ship is, how much fuel you've got. If you haven't got a compass that is effectively working, you're finished. Right. This is our compass. This is our compass and how we work out where we are and where we're going. Thanks, Lou. Wow, Roy, you were on fire. On fire. Congratulations right. for today. Absolutely fantastic. The point is, did you understand yeah, it, Lou? The point is, sorry, you said you may not be right. Okay. But everything that you have put forward is right. Okay, the outcome, you know, it, we get to see, but everything that you have just put forward is... It, it's feasible. It's absolutely, absolutely. And we've been following the plan. We know, you know, we know there was talk of a, a, set, a, a another party coming up. Um, you know, you know, as you know, I watch, you know, the Julie Green, she's been on the show, the Prophets, you know, they are, they're actually saying the similar of what you, a lot of what you put forward. <laughs> Well, God bless them. Um, and they, they're saying that Trump's, but yeah, they, they, they are, they, they are saying the same. And You know, what, what value you've bought is, okay, things have been wrong. We all, everyone got it wrong. Everyone got it wrong. Um, with regards to the election and everything else, we were all fooled. We didn't, we didn't look at it. We were all hungry. You know, we didn't sit back and, you know, as if the deep state that have been this plan has been put in for like sent like decades and decades. This whole plan, you know, as if just with what with you know with, with like two years. Oh yeah, swoop away, it's all going to go away. Of course, it's the long game. We were all impatient, but everything you put forward, as you say, is absolutely a possibility. You know, trends. You know, it's uh, it is a possibility. Um, I think the only people who probably know exactly what's going on is the big man upstairs and uh, a few of his people on, you know, that he's chosen out in this planet. Um, but we will, uh, we'll see what's happens, anyway. Eh, so when are you going to be back? Uh, well, I'll, I'll give it a week or two, Lou, because I've got a lot of work in between. But, uh, look, the same goes. We say everywhere. If something untoward happens, I'll be on straight away. But. If I can have a break for maybe two weeks, I can come together then and develop some of the points I've made you and put more clarification on some of the issues that I've raised. Perfect. Brilliant. Right. Thank you, Roy. You're still on Telegram, are you? Royboy17. <laughs> yeah, but I don't really go on there. I think I've done about eight posts in the last two weeks. But I, I, put, put, I put posts out now and then. I, don't, I haven't got the input that I once had in it because I've got other work to do. That's I'm it. off. I'm off Facebook. I'm off, I'm off everything else. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not missing it. By the way, no, no, no. It's a. It's a tough battlefield out there, especially when you do, nothing gets seen. Nobody sees your stuff. It's a. 
They've certainly, what? their plan certainly worked on us. We just, we, we've like, oh, it's crazy, Roy. But anyway, we're still here. We're going to keep going. And one day these shows will be very, very much important part of history. I think all the stuff that we've talked about over, you know, all the guests I've had on over the 12, 13 years of broadcasting. Um, a lot Absolutely. of it doesn't get seen, but, and especially your stuff, Roy, I mean, those early shows, they were, you know, you explained the color revolution. you got a lot of people, you know, to understand. And you did bring a lot more people sort of like you woke up, Roy. So. Well, I think you're right in that it will be historical timepieces, but uh, we're living in great history now, Lou. So. Yeah. Right. You go. I'm going to play out with the where we go one. We go all tune and, uh, I'll be back tomorrow. That's three shows down today. And we've got a couple more lined up for tomorrow. So I'll be back with the wonderful Catherine, as always. We're not afraid. There was a night. There was a fly by day. Ten thousand may fall, but we, we will remain. Thank you for, uh, for listening to, uh, to Lou and Roy. Uh, on Liberty Tactics. I, I think it's an important uh, international venue.